Today's passage is taken from the first letter of John, and we're in chapter 4, it's verses 7 to 16. If you've got Bibles, uh, our church Bibles, you want page 1227, that's 1227. The words will also come up on the screen. Reading from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Wow, dear friends, I, I really like that, I love that so much. Dear friends, sisters and brothers, children in the hotel and adults here, if you're online watching from home, if you're present in the building, we are friends. Dear friends. And so, dear friends, good morning. My name is Deji. I'm a member of the church here at St. John's. And it's Trinity Sunday. And I'm really excited to bring something about Trinity to us this morning. Uh, Mike has already been sharing lots of things. I hope you were picking up on those Bible verses as we were looking, doing those prayers. It really blows our minds when we stop and think who God is, because it matters who God is. It really matters who we think God is. And I want to celebrate that. I'm in a celebratory mood. I think we should celebrate that, and we should rejoice on this very day. The Trinity is the Christian view of who God is. Today we're celebrating that as well. Are we are people who rejoice, or are we not? Your view of God, believe it or not, colors every aspect of your life. We are here to worship the living God. 
But what do we think of that God? The way we express ourselves, that hinges on who we think God is, whether we realize it or not. So we need to get this right, not just for our sakes, but for the sake of those who look up to us, for those who are disciples alongside us, for the sake of our children, for the sake of people who don't yet believe. When someone out there who doesn't believe in God yet comes to you and says, who is this God you believe in? What do we share? What can we share? It is vitally important how we see God. Let me give you an example. It might seem a bit frivolous at first. Um, show of hands, how many of you celebrate or do something special to mark your birthday? Show of hands. Oh, good. Right. We are a people who celebrate and rejoice. Believe it or not, there are folks out there who go, what's the point? Why are you celebrating the mere fact that you just managed to survive on this planet for yet another 365 days? Have you met Grinches like that? Yeah? There are views out there like that. What causes them to think and feel that way? You can see where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> it matters what you think about God. So instead of saying, what's the point of celebrating? Actually, if you stop and think about it for a minute, the mere fact that you woke up this morning from your night's sleep should be cause for celebration. I don't want to put a downer on things, but guess what? You woke up this morning and the sun is still where it should be, yeah? It hasn't been sucked into a black hole or itself turned into a black hole like the scientists tell us is eventually going to happen. The Earth hasn't been hit by a massive asteroid, yeah? The bees haven't completely declined in number and disappeared. We still have plankton in the oceans. So these are big scale things, macro things, and micro tiny things, all of which are vital to keep our existence, to keep us going, to keep this world together. I suspect there's a whole bunch of other things that need to be balanced that we're not even aware of. So it's no small thing that we woke up this morning. And I, for one, think if you want to pack them all into one big bunch and celebrate them one day of the year because it gets a bit mundane celebrating it every morning, yeah? If you want to do that once a year, I think, yeah, good on you. And I'm pleased that that's the kind of church we are. We are a people who rejoice. And when you dig into it, what we believe about God forms part of that. There's a big question to ask, though. Is there someone keeping all these things balanced? Is there someone out there balancing it? It's a question that's been asked through the ages. Who or what is holding the universe together? There's a school of thought that says, no, 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 there's, there's no one there. There's no supernatural being who makes sure everything carries on. It's just the universe, machine-like, impersonal, uncaring. We believe differently, don't we? 
Let me read to you from Psalm 118. Just two short verses from verse 23. And the psalmist says this, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. See, I firmly believe this. And so I'm rejoicing, not just because I happen to be in a celebratory mood. The Lord has made this day. And I, for one, am glad for it. So this Trinity Sunday, I want to take us back to God. It can seem scary. It can seem like, oh, big topic, Deji, what are you thinking? But we can make really good progress here. So why the Trinity? Why that peculiar Christian view of God? It's important we dig into this and get it right because if it's not the universe, if it is indeed God, who's responsible for today? If it's God who is responsible for our world, our lives, our very existence, what we think about that God is vitally important. Where does your view of God come from? It can be that sometimes we form views of God based on attributes. You know, how powerful God is. And that's all we see. But if that's the case, that way leads to a life of fear. That's not the Christian view. Or maybe you think about how intelligent and wise God is. But where does that leave things like grace and justice? You see, trying to describe God on our own terms, trying to describe God in simplistic terms like this is never going to work. So when it comes to the massive question, possibly the biggest question of them all, who is God? What is God like? You can easily see how different people end up with different beliefs. Um, I've got some images. I'm going to ask Becky to get them up on the screen just to help drive this point home. So, um, yeah, that's an image of someone. I hope you can see it on the screen. That, no one looks like that. That's not a real person. I mean, that Noke is giving Pinocchio a, a run for his money. Um, but do we know who that is? Just, yep, yeah, if we go on to the next one, it is indeed Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah, that's what she really looks like. But somehow, it's easy to get focused, you know, too focused on one, one aspect of what she looks like. Let's try one more. Um, ah, do we know who this is? Again. No one could possibly look like that, could they? Um, but do we know who this is? Let's go on, and it is indeed the British Prime Minister. The hair is the same, sorry. <laughs> you get that? Um, I will confess, in preparation for this talk, I, I spent too much time on the internet, and I found a website that allows you to take the picture of a real person and do a caricature like those other, others. So I've taken one of someone from among us, and I'm going to ask you to try and guess who that person is. Don't be shocked when you say it. Who is this? That's not even a person, is it? 
But you see what's happened here? All these images are distorted. They look nothing like the real person. It is indeed Mike, our very own Mike. That's what Mike really looks like. That's the real Mike. Or, or perhaps the next one, you know, we've got, um, yeah, maybe, that, maybe that's the real Mike, who knows? Yeah, that could be the real Mike. Um, or maybe this one, or maybe, yeah, maybe that's the real Mike, yes. Baby face Mike. But you get the idea. We need, as Christians, to be careful that our view of God is not distorted. And the Trinity gives us a clear view of who God is. Like this one here, a clear image. Last one. Hopefully we can recognize that. A lot less distorted. Thanks, Becca, we survived, yay. <laughs> it's good to see when the, when the tech works. So what is the Christian view of God? What is the Trinity? Well, Christians believe in, and I'm reading this so I get it absolutely right, one God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods. We believe that God is one. And that in the oneness of God, there are three persons. That God is a, a tri-unity, a community of three persons eternally united in love and relationship. Does this seem odd to you? Does it blow your mind? Um, I kind of hope it does, because it means you're awake. Because here's the first thing I want to say. We are never, never to think that we can master God. We are never to think that. What do I mean? So um, take something like a skateboard, yeah, a skateboard. I could tell you everything there is to know about a skateboard. You could go on a search engine and find out everything you need to know about a skateboard. This is something that is well understood by us. We have mastered the skateboard. There are no surprises left about the skateboard. You've got a flat bit of wood, up to under the edges, sets of wheels, you do tricks on it. I mean, I wouldn't, but you know, people do. God is not like a skateboard. It is impossible for us to work God out. That approach fails every single time. So I'm not here to give you a theory about God. It can't be done. So what then? Do we just throw our hands up and go, we just give up or we'll go home, there's nothing to do. The good news is that God himself has revealed who he is to us. We find recorded in the Bible how God has done so, how he has revealed himself to us. And this is where the Trinity, this is where the Christian view of God comes from. The second thing I want to say is, and it feels like I'm stating the obvious here, um, God is complex. If God is a being that created everything, yeah, God is complex. God has got to be complex. So using language or using anything else we come up with to try and describe God is never going to be straightforward, is it? 
There is a book I came across called Flatlands. Um, I believe it was written in the 1880s, um, but I know about it because in 2007, it was made into a film. Yeah, that's the kind of person I am. Um, it was made into a film in 2007. If you get the chance, have a look at it. A lot of mind-blowing stuff. You think it's a kid's film? It's not. Um, but anyway, in Flatlands, everything is flat, two-dimensional. You've only got beings that are flat shapes, you know, squares, circles, triangles, hexagons, yeah, you know your shapes, shapes. All flat with no thickness, no thickness to them at all. And that's how they live. They wouldn't even know what thickness was. There was a particular square who had a dream one night. The square dreamed of being in a place called Line Land, a land of points only. The points couldn't comprehend the square. No matter how hard the square tried to get them to understand what it's like being a shape, what it's like being a square, the points could only see the square as a series of points in a line. And so the square wakes up very distressed, deeply troubled. But then, later on, the square herself is visited by a solid sphere. And guess what? She can't see the sphere as anything other than a circle. That is, until the sphere takes the square into a place called Spaceland and shows her and reveals to her what it's like to be a solid shape. God must be complex in levels and dimensions that we, like the square, couldn't ever imagine. But can we be shown what God is like? Today's passage was written about 70 years after the resurrection of Jesus. John's first epistle gives us a very good sense of what the earliest Christian church, what they thought God had revealed about himself. We read chapter four. Much of chapter, much of chapter four is about the love of God and how God is love. I picked out 10 verses, and in those 10 verses, the word God is mentioned 14 times. Also, the word love is mentioned 14 times. John is trying to show that God is love because that's what he has seen in Jesus. So he finds he's unable to do so without talking about the Son and the Spirit. John isn't able to leave it that, oh, the Father above is love because he knows that there is so much more to be expressed he knows that there's a richness and a depth that involves the Son of God and the Spirit of God. So for John, it's God the Father and the Spirit of God. The Spirit, who, if you remember, was there at the beginning of it all, at creation, ready and hovering, waiting for the Word of God to come. He is there at Jesus' baptism, 
I don't know if you got Mike's email on Thursday. Mike mentioned that. The Spirit was there, descending like a dove on Jesus. And then the Father spoke those words, showing how much he loved his son and how, how, how he was pleased with his son. The Spirit is there at Jesus' resurrection. At the beginning of a new work of creation, a new dawn for all humankind. So John can't leave him out. But he's also got to talk about the Son. If he's going to talk about God's love and God's life, John also has, has to talk about Jesus. Jesus, the Word, the Messiah, sent by the Father so we might live. He has to. As far as John is concerned, if you really want to know God, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to focus on. You need to know about this love. A love where all three, all three persons of the unity, always, eternally act in complete unity. And that's how come Jesus can say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You see, even though we can't work God out, we can be assured that when we see God through the lens that is Jesus, what we get is the true image of God. In the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, we see the Father loving the Son. Yeah? The Son responding in loving obedience, prepared to lay down his life, and all of it worked through the Holy Spirit. This is what you want, a complete and real picture, nothing distorted. Because now we can see that the story of the Bible is a unified one, a story that tells of an eternal love, an eternal loving relationship that is complete in a triune God. God declares himself and reveals himself in the Bible to be a loving father who loves, a son who gives, and a spirit who transforms. At the heart of the universe, and I take so much comfort in this, at the heart of the universe isn't a cold, impersonal machine. At the heart of the universe is a community, a community of love. This is what we need to teach our children. This is what we need to teach ourselves. Because this is our God. This is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. It is in this name and this name alone that we meet. Mike said it at the start. We meet in one name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close now with a few more words. Um, just to say, I started out by mentioning that what we think about God is vitally important. Well, C.S. Lewis, who you know wrote the Narnia stories and lots of other good theology as well, he sees it from a slightly different perspective. 
He says this, what God thinks about you is the most important thing about you. We can get, can get bogged down in trying to do it the other way around, but he switched it, and I could, I could see it clearly. What God thinks about you is the most important thing about you. The Trinity shows us what God thinks about us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, it all starts to make sense when you look at it from the view of the Trinity. Because then you see that God is not far from us. God is not distant. God is not set and ready to pounce and punish. He couldn't be more committed to us. He has become one of us. He has given his body for us. He's done it all so that we can become true image bearers, reflecting this magnificent community of love. In the one God that is a trinity, it now makes sense. When we look at ourselves and we see that we are made for relationship, we see that we are made for sacrificial service, we see that we are made for love. So it's not just about you having made a decision for Jesus, saying, I'm for Jesus, I'm for God. That's great. It's really about recognizing that God has already made the decision that he is for you. I'm just going to say that again. God has decided that he is for you. Jesus has given his body. It's broken in sacrifice so that everything that stands between us and God is removed. We're invited to join that eternal community of love now. Praise God who has already made the decision Praise God because he's fully committed to us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As we go on to share the bread and the cup, I now see that perhaps in communion, we've been given a foretaste of what it's like to do community God style. Jesus is calling us into perfect love, into perfect unity. The response is now down to us. Let us pray. Holy God, faithful and unchanging, enlarge our minds with the knowledge of your truth and draw us more deeply into the mystery of your love that we may truly worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.